Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Thank you. You're, um, we're such a blessed people. The scripture says that he daily loadeth us with benefits. Amen. I like that. So, well, where's my benefits? Well, it may not be health care, but it might be healthy. Watches out for you and cares for you. Thank you, Jesus. Just letting everyone get kind of situated and set. You know that informality of, of this night um, that we normally do, iron sharpens iron. So we have three speakers tonight. And uh, Sister McKenzie is going to speak first and let the ladies go first. And I, I, I talked to the brethren and the sister uh, earlier this week, and I began to talk to them about how everything around us seems so hard and difficult. Brother Wes, it just seems like you just don't have to. I know some things, mountains are being made out of molehills. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real stress, real drama, real trouble, real persecution. And I don't think that David or the psalmist were individuals that were making mountains out of molehills. I think when they said, hey, everyone's against me, Everywhere I look, I feel like I'm all alone and I'm all by myself. And you just know that they're going through some things. And, and I said the other day when I was preaching on a Sunday, I said, I don't think we can even begin to fathom what some of those issues were. I don't mean to make light of the issues we go through, but I'm saying they're far, <laughs> they're tough. You look at some of those famines and you look at some of those things, you just got to say, I went without food for a couple of days because I chose to. <laughs> it's kind of more like a diet instead of a fast. <laughs> but they had hard times. And I asked the folks today to talk about everything that's pushing, pushing against the church, pushing against marriage, pushing against parenthood and childhood, everything that's pushing against Give me something from the scriptures that says there's hope. Out of the book of Psalms, give me something that gives me light. Give me something that gives me encouragement. Bless you, sis. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Um, I have a thought tonight, and it's, it's a pretty simple thought, and I just want to share my experience with this. And my thought is that when everything is going wrong, going wrong and it seems like nobody's on your side, God's on your side. He's always on our side. And it's a subject that's really special to me because it, it took me, and I feel like I'm not the only person that's experienced this, but it took me a long time to come to accept that God was on my side personally. And the Bible talks about how God is with the righteous, but I didn't feel like I was that righteous person that he could possibly be talking about. I felt like I was inadequate or I didn't meet the standard that God needed me to be, and therefore he wasn't with me because of that. 
and that's just not true. And so I wanted to open with just talking a little bit about the difference between conviction and condemnation. So conviction is a tool that the Lord uses to help us grow. It's going to be something, a prick in your heart to encourage you like, mm, maybe I should do better next time. Maybe I should try to push myself in this area so that I can learn more. Or I should learn to dig deeper in this area so that I can be better. But it's a, it's a helpful tool. It's something that's going to encourage you and help you be better. Whereas condemnation is a tool that the enemy uses to blind you about who God really is. And that's kind of a bold statement to talk about condemnation because some people would say that condemnation is just making you feel really bad about a situation. But the thing is, is that if you feel like you've done something so wrong that God doesn't forgive you or you feel like God won't forgive you, then you are blind to who God really is. Condemnation has now put blinders on and you don't see God as someone who is loving anymore. You're not seeing him as someone that is compassionate and merciful anymore, which is why condemnation is so blinding. He's not, God is not someone that's looking down. He, and I, I used to justify in my mind, I'm like, well, the, in the Bible, God was angry sometimes. <laughs> and I'm sure there's been multiple scenarios when God's been angry with me or disappointed with me. But the thing is, is that overall, that's not who he is. You couldn't look at what he did on the cross and say that he's an angry God. You, could, you couldn't say that. You couldn't look at how he died on the cross for us and say that he wasn't merciful or he wasn't compassionate. And I say all that to say that God is on your side today. Right. No matter what you're facing in your mind, God is on your side today. And I have a scripture from Psalms. It's verse 60, 11 and 12. It says, give us help from trouble. Oh, Lord, there's a lot of trouble in this world. For vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly. For he it, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. First of all, we're not to put our trust in man, but to put our trust in God. He's the one that shall tread down your enemies and look out for you. And he's also the one that will help us to do valiantly, the scripture says, right. and overcome all that we're struggling with. God is on your side. And he's a good God to have on your side. The Bible says just a couple um, scriptures later in chapter 62, it says, God has spoken once, twice have I heard it, this, that power belongeth to God. Not only does he just have it. That blew my mind when I heard that scripture for the first time. Not only does God just have power, but it belongs to him. God owns power. He is the dictator of power. As a new Christian, it took a long time for me to learn that God was on my side, partially because I was living out of fear and not living out of love. And when you learn to live, like, when you learn to have eyes that see God for who he really is, and you learn to live out of a love for God and not out of a fear of him, and I'm not talking about fear as in reverence or respect, I'm talking about fear as in fear, as in anxiety. You know, a lot of people will come to Christianity or they'll come from other faiths that may have damaged them or religion may, has dam may have damaged them and they may feel like they just have to do everything they possibly can to stay out of hell. That's all they can think about. I just have to be this, I have to be good in this area. I have to be perfect in this area or I'm going to hell or that's where, that's where I'm going to be sent. And when you're obsessed with thoughts like that, you're not living out of love anymore. You're oh. living out of, I just have to stay out of that place. You're not thinking about 
who God really is yeah, anymore. You're not thinking about, you know, mercy yeah. anymore. You're not thinking about compassion. You're not, talking, you're not thinking about what he did on the cross. And so when I learned that, when I learned who God really was and I had that personal revelation in my own heart, my walk with God completely changed because I wasn't just consumed with hell and not going to it. I began to do things that God would find delight in. I was thinking about my ministry. I was thinking about worship and praise and teaching and soul winning. I wasn't obsessed with I'm bad, the world's bad, I just can't make any mistakes. It was God loves me and I'm trying to do my best. And when I do make mistakes, he'll forgive me. But I'm going to do the best that I can. All right, good. Something I find interesting is in the book of John when he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. Um, I... I pastor preached a message on this a couple years ago, and I wish I remembered more of it, but I was just so enthralled when he was preaching about it because it is very interesting that he refers to himself that way. And I remember when I, I had a middle school friend one time tell me, she goes, well, John didn't write the book of John. I was like, um, it's literally titled John, but why do you say that? <laughs> um, and she's like, well, he would be so conceited to constantly be calling himself the one whom Jesus loved. And looking back on it, I'm like, you're, you're so wrong. <laughs> because it's not that he was conceited, because when he was saying that he's the one whom Jesus loved, it wasn't a reflection of who John was. It was a reflection of who God was. He had a revelation. He had an, a personal revelation in his heart, and he knew, I'm the one who Jesus loves. I'm the one who he died on the cross for. He had a perspective change that was crucial to his belief in his platform and everything that he believed and stood for. Right. God is on our side. And I just have one more thought. Um, it's, I have a little story about when I first came to church and I was first reading the book of Noah um, and how we need to keep our perspective right. When we're going through trials and when we're going through troubles, we really need to do our best to keep our eyes on the problem solver and not the problem, right? Our perspective is just so important. And I... I was telling my husband this the other day, and he thought it was really funny, so I'm going to share it with you guys. Um, I've read the book of Genesis more than any book in the Bible, and I know that because of when I first started reading the Bible, when I first came to church or when I was younger, I would start reading Genesis, and then I'd fall off the wagon. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, I need to start reading the Bible again, and I'd restart at Genesis again, and then I'd read it, and then I'd fall off the wagon <laughs> And then I restarted Genesis again. And I remember as a kid, like, like 12, 13, 14, every time I'd read the book of when, when we're getting to the story of Noah and the ark, and he sends out the second dove, I'd be like, what a lame bird. They're looking for a sign, <laughs> and no sign comes. Because what happens is they send out the first dove, and it comes back with a little sprig of, of tree. And they send out the second dove. They're looking for the sign that the waters are going down. And that there's hope that they're going to be able to get off the ark soon. And they send the, dove back, they send the dove out and it doesn't come. And I'm like, God, they were looking for a sign and it didn't come. And then I had, a, I had a revelation in my heart one day and I realized that that was the sign. The sign was nothing. The sign was that the bird went out, found a tree or something okay. that it could stay in and was like, this is a good place to stay. I'm going to stay here. Maybe built a nest, maybe had a family. I don't know how it happened. But that was the sign. Nothing was the sign. And that's its own message to be told. But the point is, is that what if Noah had been like me and was like, God, we're looking for a sign and this is what you've given me? 
<laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I mean, perspective is important, and how we look at things is important. And so I just wanted to encourage someone with the thought tonight that God is on your side. He's merciful. He's loving. He's compassionate. He wants you to succeed, and he wants you to do your best. In Jesus' name. So, God is on my side. Man. Like that team, that team is stacked. That's loaded. You don't even have to worry about who you're pinch runner is, who your pinch hitter. God's on your side, man. It's just like, wait a second, whom shall I fear? I don't have to worry about what it looks like. God's on my side. Keeping that perspective right. I like that, sis. Keeping the perspective right. Often Paul talks about, you know, keeping our eyes on the prize. Keeping our, our perspective right. Looking in the direction we should be going. I like that Psalm 73 talks about, he said, I almost slipped. <laughs> I almost slipped. I was so close. Somewhere in there, it's just, a, I believe that was Asaph wrote that. And he said, he was just telling us, hey, wait a second. If you get your eyes off of the Lord, <laughs> man, it's slippery slope. It's a hard one. Waves get big, wind starts blowing. All right, Brother Anthony, God bless you. Praise the Lord, God is good. Um, so when I started thinking on this topic, Brother Playel, I, my mind went a lot of places. Um, I love where we're reading in Psalms currently. I love the chariots throughout the Bible. We've got chariots of fire. We've got enemies that we couldn't conquer because of chariots, etc., etc., but I really started to think on where I go in prayer when the mountains seem too big or when grasping at life seems to be a, a almost a frail, pointless effort. And where I find myself in prayer and wh where I end up or at least pass through almost every single time is Psalm 50, verse 12. It's one of my top five verses, don't ask me to number them. The order may change depending upon the day. But Psalm 50 verse 12 says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. This is where I go when life really feels like a vapor. I mean, the Bible says it's a vapor. It, it passes away faster than we can imagine. But when I have mountains in my life, it... it it feels like I'm trying to grab a hold of something that's a vapor that I can't get a hold of. And I generally have a plan, at least I think I do, of how I'm going to get through X, Y, Z. And, and I put motion to it. But the one thing that it always seems like I lack is the strength to overcome the situation. Not because I dive straight to failure, but I don't possess enough strength to overcome in my own self intrinsically, some of those moments in life, whether it's strength of will or, or strength of might, it's just not there. And that is the one thing that feels so fleeting when life's coming against me. And that's where I go to this verse. Um, because, I mean, it's incredible. This, it, it speaks to me in a very special way. It's those times when I really grab a hold of, if we look at the first part of this verse, 
if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. That talks to me about God's attribute of strength and power. That's, that's what it shows me. It shows me that I am God and I can handle it all. I don't need you. I am God who brought my people out of Egypt. The enemy chased them right, was right on their tail. He made a way for them. And then when the enemy pursued, he crushed them beneath the waves of, of the Red Sea. I mean, there's power there. It, it's, it's incredible. He relies on no one else. He does not need anyone else to supply his need. Yet, he does not need us, but he wants to have a relationship with us. And there's more than I can even comprehend to be said in the fact that he's so powerful, he doesn't need me, but he wants me. He wants me to have that relationship with him. Amen? I mean, that's the God, God that has so much power that... I mean, he can send out an angel to kill more people, more soldiers, more enemies in an evening than I can even truly comprehend in my mind. I mean, that is a big number to try to compile in your head and to try to imagine. Three can get cast into the fire, and they don't get burned at all, and there's a fourth. And everyone around is amazed. God is a God of power. Amen. And as per standard, I lost my place in my notes. But um, just the, the accolades are unending. Chariots of fire in the hills round about. It, it blows my mind the power of God. And in those moments, I need to maybe focus a little more on that. And that's, that's part of what I get from this verse. I get a greater focus on the power of God. And it, it makes my situation a little bit smaller. Amen? Because it seems huge to me, but God's been there, done that more times with more people than we could ever write down. I mean, there's no new thing under the sun. My struggles are big to me. My When the world's closing in, it is huge to me, but it is no surprise to God. And then we get to the second part, and, and I don't know which riles me up more. I don't know which, I, which portion of this scripture or this verse I like more. But for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. So he's got all the power and he made every bit of it. He made heaven and earth in a few short chapters. That's incredible. You should see how long it takes me to make a cutting board. He made heaven and earth. I mean, he hung the stars in the sky, and it, it, it's only recorded as a few words. I've said it before. Um, I obviously don't know what it was like in the moment. But to me, it seems like kind of a uh, didn't require much effort. It's, it's thrown out with just a few short words, and he hung the stars also, I believe, is if I'm quoting it correctly. Um, that's all it took. It didn't require a big, drawn-out explanation with a bunch of blueprints and plans. Um, he just did it. He created heaven and earth, and he just created the stars. He sent and receded a global flood. That's incredible. He, humankind struggles with making and controlling dams to stop up rivers and create energy. I mean, God flooded the whole earth, receded it, and 
and that's just to name a few of the items. And just that's where I go when, when life seems troubling. I, this verse gives me great strength. God gives me great strength to overcome what I'm going through. Amen? And it, I guess it's just somewhat hard to explain. He, he but it's not. He wears the victor's crown. He hasn't been defeated. We've sang a song a couple of times, whether it's 2 or 12, I don't know. But to, var- to borrow some of the wording from that, um, it, in that moment, when I focus on these aspects of God, I'm able to take and look at my trial and look at my situation and say, who are you? I, I believe the, the wording in the song goes, oh, great mountain, who are you or who art thou? I mean, to be able to look at a problem and say, not because of me. It has nothing to do with my strength. I've already proven that. But when I can look at a struggle, look at a trial and prayer and say, who are you? Because God doesn't lose. God hasn't lost. He's not about to change his habits and his ways. And, and that's where I go. Because the, the one thing that I find is either strength of will or strength of might seems, the human, the human aspect of it seems very inadequate in those moments. But when I rely on God, there's no lack. All right. So you saw Psalm 60, verse 12. Psalm 50, verse 12. Sister McKenzie said, God is on my side. Stacked deck. It's on my side. You said, see God for who He is. Keep your perspective. We're talking about being in, you know, adversity. Going through trials. You don't know if you're going to be employed next week or how you're going to pay your bills. Or you've got somebody personally attacking you or more than one person attacking you. Feeling alone, feeling withdrawn and, and, and hurted. You've got to walk, focus on the power of God. Focus on the power of God. He made heaven and earth with very little effort, Brother Richard. Very little effort. He just did. And it's all His. And I may not be able to affect whether or not it rains tomorrow. Obviously, I can't. (laughs) Or if it's sunny. But He certainly can. It's His. It's all His. Praise God. Brother Tostin, go ahead, my friend. Amen. Glory to God love what I've been hearing. <clears throat> what gets me through going, favorite scripture, I have a lot of favorite scriptures, but <laughs> Psalm 62, uh, it's a psalm of David, pastor love that. Um, David's a man after God's own heart, and I just did a little background on this particular scripture, this psalm. Uh, David was penning this psalm when Absalom, his son, was in rebellion. So I got to thinking, my goodness, uh, I always have these little pity parties about my anxiety, my stress, but what if my son was coming out to kill me? 
what, what if my blood kin was, was out to take over my, my kingdom? Oh, my God. What kind of anxiety and stress was he under? And, and, and a key word to what I've been saying here is stillness under stress. Stillness under stress. Remember that. Stillness under stress. Glory to God. So give it the picture. False witnesses, turmoil in the camp, spies, and then you hear your son has killed your, your uh, other son. Oh, my God. What kind of depression? What kind of anxiety? What kind of stress is that? I can't even begin to encounter that kind of stress. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I think about that. Oh, my goodness. But when he penned that psalm, he started out saying, truly, my God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Truly, only, another word for it, only my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Salvation only comes from one place. It comes from God. It comes from God. My soul waits in silence. This is a commentary. Rather than continuing crying out, he, he was in silence. He he needed something. He needed a touch from God. He needed to hear from God. Holy, holy, holy. Psalm sixty-two and two says, "He is only my rock. He's my salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be greatly moved." See, David got personal with God. He, he said, my rock, Lord have mercy, my salvation, my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. When I was looking for a job in California, about to lose my house in California, da, 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 <laughs> had to go to the Psalms, had to come here and say, Lord, you know what I'm going through. You know, I mean, the, the house is temporary anyway, but I, I got to get a job to feed my family. Oh, God. But I knew he was my rock. <laughs> I knew he was my defense against the enemy. And I shall not be greatly moved. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, another commentary says, uh, he asserts trust in God alone. He's only the one who can deliver the psalmist and provide him with safety and security. You have to believe that. God is the only one. Uh, the sister said that he's the only one that can provide that type of security for you is God. God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, you know something else? David in six, uh, Psalm 62, 5, he said, my soul waiteth upon God, for my expectation is from him. I expect something from God. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord. And David got personal. He's my God. He's my God. He's my deliverer. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Psalm 62 and 6 says, he is only my rock. <laughs> He's my salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. You know, Brother Playo gave a great message the other day about worship and praise. David knew how to praise God. David knew how to worship God, too. 
and uh, I once heard praise. I once heard this definition: praise is a command. Yeah, it's a command. You can praise God with a heart full of hell. Anybody can get up and clap. Oh yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But he can have help to help. But when you worship God, it melts your will. It stirs up your emotion. It crucifies your spirit. That's what worship is. Glory to God. You, you, you just have to give it up. See, you can't worship God being a, with, a, with, a, with a body full of mess. You have to worship God in spirit and truth. You've got to be true when you worship God. And David know how to worship God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. I get happy. I start laughing. <laughs> you know what? Because the word of God is good. You know what else? Word of God can change you. And the word don't come back void. Ha, ha. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Hallelujah. And the word was God. Hallelujah. I'm going to lose my place here. Psalm 62 and 7 says, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God. Everything is in God. Everything. My shelter, my defense, my rock, my life, my salvation. It's all God. 62, they says, trust in him at all times, ye people. He said, pour out your heart before God, before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. This is where I go. When things get tough, and I think about my little petty party, my little problems, nothing compared to David's going on. Nothing compared to your son coming after you, trying to kill you. False witnesses. You know, you know what else bothers me is spies, people who who, who aren't the, who aren't they who are they said they're going to be. They're 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 false witnesses. They go back and tell things on you. A lot of people at work sometimes, or you, you confide in them, and I'll tell you, you know, it's all around the company and stuff like that. But David had a whole bunch of people like that. He was alone a lot, but he had God. But God, Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So God is the only one. The only one. There's no other. There's no second uh, contingency plan there. God's the only one. Think about that for a second. How often do we look at living for God and we're worrying about our contingency plan. When God's saying, just trust me, it'll be okay. Just put your trust in me. So God's the only one, and I like this, He's mine. He's mine. And you can, everyone in this room can say, He's mine. And he's, he's mine and, and he's not any less powerful because he's yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and he's mine. And he's yours and yours and yours and he's still mine. He's my God, my refuge, my rock, my salvation. I'm going to keep my perspective on him, keep my eyes on him. And I got to know that he's on my side. 
watching over me. <laughs> I like it, I like it, I like it. This is good stuff, guys and gals. We made it. And I want to focus on His power. Because I take all His power away when I start looking at it, doing it myself. When I say, oh, I don't want to bother you with this. It's just me, God. I, I, I guess he'll just let me fail if that's what I want. I know no one else has ever done that before. Not in this room. He got me through all of this, but then the next trouble, it's like, oh, I can do this. I got this. I can handle it. And then we take credit for it. <laughs> Praise God. Good verses of Scripture. Psalm 62, 1. Psalm 50, verse 12. Psalm 60, verse 12. Hope you made some notes on that.